Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. My partner Terry's all uh, getting ready. He's going to be coming on Newsmax later on today on on the uh, on uh, the Chris. I forget his last name. He's Hispanic. <laughs> How can I forget? So Terry will be coming on. He's getting ready for the show right now. My name is Jesse Romero. By the way, this is the month of August, uh, where we honor and devote ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This devotion has received new emphasis in the century from the visions given to Sister Lucy dos Santos. She's the oldest uh, of the visionaries of Fatima. Uh, she was visited by Our Lady in her convent in the city of Tui, Spain, back in 1925-1926. In these visions, Our Lady's asked for the practice of the five first Saturdays to help, to help make amends for the offenses committed against her heart by the blasphemies and, and gratitude of men. And we're seeing it right now, this uh, whole push by the Atlantic to try to call the, the rosary, so those that pray the rosary, it's an extremist weapon. This is particularly why we as Catholics do the five first Saturdays to help make amends and reparation for the offenses against the Immaculate Heart of Mary by, the, by these blasphemers and the ingratitude of men. By the way, today's also, it's the feast day of St. John Eudes. Pray for us. Who is St. John Eudes? Well, St. John Eudes, Remember, for us as Catholics, uh, almost every day of the, of, of the liturgical year, we, we have the special devotion to a particular saint because uh, the saints are basically the democracy of the dead. We don't want to forget what they've said and what they've stood for and how they lived their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. So St. John Eudes, he was born in 1601. He studied with the Jesuits at, at, uh, in France. He was ordained a priest. Uh, he was ordained a priest uh, uh, of the Society of Jesus. Uh, St. John, he also entrusted himself to the hearts of Jesus and Mary. And something very interesting that St. John Eudes is known for. St. John Eudes wrote a book. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that's, uh, you know, it'll, it'll almost take your breath away. In this book, St. John Eudes, uh, the, the title of the book, and I'm going to, it's called The Priest his Dignity and Obligations by St. John Eudes, who lived back in this, again, in the 16th century. He says, The most evident mark of God's anger and the most terrible castigation is when God permits bad priests as a sign that he's thoroughly angry with his people. Uh, St. John Eudes, pray for us. It's his feast day today. I see my friend Paul here. Uh, Paul, well, let me let me share the uh, quote the gospel, and we'll talk about the the Lord Jesus Christ, our favorite topic, and what He has to say today to us. Matthew chapter twenty two verses thirty four to forty, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is right after He castigates the Pharisees and Sadducees with all the woes, woe to you, woe to you. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, now He says something about. Uh, how we should conduct ourselves in terms of our interior life. So the Lord says, quote, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the Lord. Uh, you shall love uh, your neighbor as yourself. 
The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, by the way, Old Testament idolatry was very offensive to God because it was it was a violation of the first commandment. Of the Ten Commandments given to us by God, the one that's most egregious to violate, the one that's that that the worst commandment to violate is number one because it's a direct offense against God. In the Old Testament, they used to uh, worship false gods and false idols. This was very offensive to God. And, uh, and, and God would chastise his people that would fall into idolatry. Here's what's interesting. I, when I talk to Protestants, and they say, yeah, God's against idolatry, so he doesn't like your statues, Catholics. I'll say, this is something interesting. And I said, because I know in the Old Testament, uh, some of the God's people would worship false gods in the form of a statue. But in the New Testament, what is New Testament idolatry? I ask a Protestant. They'll say, well, is it a statue? I said, no. Statues are never mentioned in the New Testament. I'll tell you what is mentioned in the New Testament as New Testament idolatry according to St. Paul in Ephesians 5.5. 5. So what is it, Jess? Sexual perversion? And, uh, and, and, uh, let me just grab my Bible here. Because this is important. Because most people don't know what New Testament idolatry is. As soon as they hear the word idolatry, they say, Oh, that's uh, the statue, statues. Really? No, I'm, I'm not an Old Testament Israel. I'm a New Testament Christian. What does St. Paul say is New Testament idolatry that consigns people to hell? Well, it's right in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. I just whipped my Bible open. Uh, verse 5. Here it is. Be sure, and it's also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Same thing, it says the same thing. Be sure of this, that no immoral or impure man or one who is covetous, that's greedy, love of money, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So, what is New Testament idolatry? Somebody who loves money more than they love God and somebody who's a sexual pervert. That's New Testament idolatry. Paul, I think that uh, that really sums up a lot of America today. What say you? Yeah, Jess, and, and again, uh, I'm reminded of uh, when Jesus says, the greatest of these is love. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now these three, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Sacred Scripture just tells us God is love. Sacred Scripture tells us love covers a multitude of sin. I don't think we really understand the power of love, Jess. I mean, love is such a powerful force that uh, we use it to describe God himself. Jesus Christ is said to be love incarnate. Mm. And if when we understand and, and we obey uh, uh See, love is, when you sum up the law and the prophets, when you sum up, well, the, we know the new law given to us in uh, the New Testament is the law of love, right? Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you, Paul, most of us will die with imperfect love of God. And this is why yes. the, the, the God's mercy, in his mercy, we have the doctrine of, pur of purgatory. Mm. Purgatory is that final rush of, of justification into the human soul, that final rush where God is purifying us of all our imperfections, 
of all our Amen. defects. God is 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 purifying us. He's made, he we look like charcoal as a result of our sin. God wants us to look like pure gold, like a gold brick that's transparent. Or a diamond, you know, charcoal it, it, turns to a diamond, right? There you go. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly why, uh, again, before we enter heaven, we must be totally detached from everything on earth and yes. fully in love with God and his people. Again, so the doctrine of purgatory is uh, is God's final rush of, of justification and sanctification into the human soul to perfect us for that great wedding feast, Paul. Yeah, yes. And uh, this kind of goes right in. I was sharing a, a thought with you this morning about, you know, as I was praying the rosary and um, and we, you know, we pray our prayers, you know, um, and, you know, when we say, when we ask that, uh, you know, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, we think of our blessed mother and it just dawned on me, what mother who loves her child? And and, and again, Mary is, uh, her, her love is perfected, uh, has been perfected uh, since her inception. And she's in heaven now, given to us by Christ as a mother. According to Revelation, she has other offspring, and that's those who hold the testimony of Jesus. Yeah. And she is right there when, when, when at, at our time of need, uh, the most time of need that every Christian has is at the time, at the hour of our death. And as she did not abandon her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, at his hour of need, she will not abandon her other children. And she is there standing in the gap, uh, basically uh, facilitating uh, as a as a vessel used by God to bring on that final uh, those final graces that we need, uh, the purification, for we know that nothing unclean shall enter into heaven. And that's what purgatory is, Jess. Nothing more. That's it. That's it. God wants to take us like like from charcoal to a pure diamond. And yes. uh, God, yes. just, just like the Bible says we're made in the image and likeness of God, God wants to see his image and likeness in your soul before you enter heaven. Amen. No, nothing less Nothing imperfect shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, Revelation 21, 27. Hey, a couple of things we're going to be talking about today. We'll be talking about Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, he releases a graphic video detailing the narco-slave trade at the southern border. We're also going to talk about the way marriage rates are plummeting. Why is that? We'll take a look at a video from, uh, from uh, Edify. And then we're going to end up talking about when we face death, what is the most important virtue that we need to face death? It's called hope. Hope is the key for Christians. That's, mm -hmm. We need boatloads of hope before we face death. My name is Jess Romero. I've got Paul Clay on. This is a Terry and Jesse show. Terry will be on. Uh, he's uh, getting ready to get on uh, uh, Newsmax uh, on the Chris Salcedo show. We'll continue talking about uh, all things Catholic here. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and rich in kindness and fidelity. Exodus 34, verse 6. Mm. 
Yeah. All right. We plead his mercy because, boy, oh boy, are we offending him right now. And yes. we're really offending him really at the, at, at, at the southern border. Why do I say that? Senator, Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, released a graphic video highlighting the brutality of what he calls the narco-slave trade at the U.S.-Mexican border. That's that, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. The video begins with Cruz and the border officials tending to a group of migrants who crossed the border late in the night. And he highlights that the vast majority of migrants are being economically exploited by the Mexican drug cartels, bringing them into the U.S. By the way, the Mexican drug cartels, in case you're wondering, they are full-fledged Satanists. They're not Catholics. They've all rejected the Catholic faith. They're Satanists. Mm-hmm. You have to be a Satanist to be part of the Mexican cartel. You cannot be yes. Catholic. So these children come, in, come in, in, in debt to these vicious circles of these cartels. Thousands and thousands of dollars are funneled to these cartels. The teenage boys work for the gangs in every city in America. And the teenage girls experience a hell worse than that with far too many of them human trafficked into sex slavery, forced sex slavery. Mm. Ted Cruz said in his video, he said this, quote, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are responsible for the worst plague of slavery in America since the Civil War. Mm. Close quote. He said, this is not compassion. This is not humane. This is barbaric, Ted Cruz said, as he showed footage cycles of graphic photos of migrants who have died attempting to cross the border. In fact, I've talked to many Texans, Paul. They've told me, they go, yeah, people that own big ranches and farms out in the southern, in, in, in the southern part of Texas, they say, it's not uncommon to, for me to find one or two dead people in my, you know, hundred, my, my hundred acres, my 50 acres, uh, one or two dead people in my property every day. This is common. Yeah. President you know, Biden's administration, let's just be honest here, he's presided over the, over record-breaking border crossing in 2021-2022, the administration has repeatedly attempted to dismiss border surges as a yearly pattern, kind of like nothing to see here, move on, move on, mm. while the southern border has seen a pattern of increases in migration each year. Yep. Again, the surges in the last two years far, far outpaced yep. the previous years. And Biden claimed in March 2021 that the border surge, he says, oh, this happens every year. No, 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 <laughs> Mr. Biden. The U.S. saw 1.7 million border crossings by the end of that year, an all-time record. And guess what? 2022 is expected to break that record. Paul, what say you? Yeah, Jess, listen, uh, I'm getting tired of hearing people on the left uh, with their mantra, nothing to see here, you know, nothing to see here. Keep on moving. Let me tell you something. Talk to the men and women who are there every day witnessing this, and I'm talking about the officers on the ground, and this stuff is repulsive. When we understand, like you said, I'm glad you pointed that out, that these cartel, they are pure, unadulterated Satanists, and uh, they are promulgating this culture of death. They are responsible for the death of tens of thousands of Americans each year who overdose on these drugs. And by the way, these are souls lost, okay? And I want everybody who's listening to the show to realize 
this we are in hand-to-hand -hand combat we must take a stand in, in in this day in this time to stand for righteousness to pray our rosary because remember there these guys as just pointed out are satanists they are empowered by the prince and the power of the heirs in this world and the only way to combat him is through our blessed mother who is going to always bring us to jesus you know paul uh as sometimes people you'll hear people on the left and even kind of you know law information catholics they'll they'll say oh trump's trump was mean because trump trump wanted to build a wall okay yeah you know you'll you'll hear people say that and and i just want to remind people i say well first of all uh there's a wall around heaven yeah in case you didn't know that you could just mm -hmm. you could just basically read I like uh, this. Yeah, you could basically read what the Bible says about heaven. I think it's in Revelation chapter 22. Yeah. Jesus says that there's a wall around heaven, and he says why there's a wall around heaven. Mm -hmm. he, says to, he says to keep out the dogs, the fornicators, the sorcerers. Uh, yes. the, the, the fact is, Jesus has no problem with the walls. There's a wall around heaven. He wants to keep people outside of heaven. And he tells you the type. In fact... Let me flip open my Bible here. Let me, let me just read it. He tells you the people he is the one in heaven. So if everybody says, oh, yeah, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's saved. Yeah, I went to a funeral and, you know, the, the, the person was just canonized. And this guy was, uh, you know, hadn't, hadn't been in church in 50 years. Revelation chapter 22. Here it is. Uh, uh, no, it's Revelation 21. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 22. Uh, I'll get, yeah, I'll get right to the meat of it. It says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light shall all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And the gates shall never be shut by day, and there shall be no night. They shall bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean shall enter it, talking about heaven, it says, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those whose, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to say, specifically about uh, uh, Revelation twenty two fourteen, Blessed are they who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Mm -hmm. Outside. Okay, so outside the what? Outside the gates are the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, it seems to me God has no problem yeah. with, 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 with walls because heaven yeah. is surrounded by a wall. Yeah, and for those of you who might... Yeah, and for those of you who might be tempted to say, well, right there it says the gates are never closed, and that's what we're doing. We're opening up the borders. Let me tell you something. Those gates, the only ones allowed to enter are those who are entering lawfully those who are you know uh, lawful entrance the rest god is not permitting them why because they have been disqualified because of their uh their sin god will not let anything impure enter into the kingdom that's right paul and i'll tell you uh not only does heaven have you know have a, a big gate around it a big and, yeah. and a fence around it also when the jews left 
Babylon and they were coming back to Jerusalem yep. under, in, under the reign of Nehemiah and Ezra. Uh, guess what God told the Jews when you get back to Jerusalem? God told them to do what? He told them to build a wall around Jerusalem. Why? Yep. To, keep the, to keep their enemies away. Right. Uh, here's another verse in, in the book of Revelation that talks about specifically walls. Revelation 21, 18 to 20. It says, The walls were built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations mm-hmm. of the wall of the city, that's, that's heaven, the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. The wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire, uh, you know, emerald, onyx, etc. So the Bible says clearly that there's walls around heaven that are adorned with these pure, you know, precious, precious objects. And then it also says about the wall in heaven, who, who enters into heaven? Those who are washed by the blood of the Lamb. If you're robed, mm. what does that mean? You're in a state of sanctifying grace. Exactly. If your dirt, if your soul's dirty, you're not going to be into those gates and inside those walls. That's right, because uh, that's what heaven is intended for, uh, glorified saints. And so, again, uh, those who are heaven was never intended for will not be able yeah. to enter. And we can yeah. just use that principle. You know, a lot of people just, they tend to say, well, you know, even the Catholic Church, it says that, you know, we should be kind to immigrants. Of course we should. You know, I don't see, if I see somebody in need on the street or, you know, I don't sit there and go, well, are you legally here? Or, you know what I mean? No, that's not, not my, that, that's not my place. My place yeah. is to love them and understand that God has called me to, you know, to to look at, look at them as he looks upon them. Yes. But at the same time, time it does not give a pass to our government that's supposed to be under god and is supposed to be just and is supposed to uh, uh be a nation of laws it doesn't give them a pass just to basically ignore uh, uh law and uh that's, that's essentially right. what our government is doing and i don't know uh just when i look at what's going on down there at the border there is such a lack of love on behalf mm. of the left-wing people in our country to allow that to continue, to allow these lives of people to be exploited and ruined, and they somehow think that that's a good thing. I honestly believe, Jess, that they have been diabolically um, uh, afflicted, affect, afflicted yeah. yeah, to the yeah. point to where they don't see the obvious and they don't really realize the great harm that they are really doing to these people and to the average American. By the way, the Vatican has a wall. Most people don't realize that. Pope Leo IV, back in the 15th century, he built a wall around the Vatican. Uh, In the 9th century, sorry about that, he built it in the 9th century. Why? In order to protect the Vatican from attacks from Islamic pirates. Mm. That's a fact of history. That's that's Vatican history. Yeah, Vatican so... they, they put a wall to protect themselves against Islamic pirates yeah. in the 19th yeah, and, century. Yeah, and when we have tens of thousands of young Americans who happen to be, you know, ex, you know, at the at these at this vulnerable age where they're tempting to, uh, you know, they're out there experimenting with drugs and things like that, and they happen to take this fentanyl-based laced uh, drugs, and they end up dying. 
How sad is that, Jess? Their lives are taken away at such a young age. And our country, is who is supposed to be protecting them, have basically looked the other way and is allowing these things to just pour in. That's right. And by the way, in case you're wondering, even the White House has also two fences, not just one fence. Mm. They used to have one fence, but under Barack Obama, he, he put a second fence, which is eight inches higher, and there's spikes on top of the fence that will seriously injure somebody trying to jump over the fence. So we used to have one big fence. Now there's two fences after Barack Obama. And also the president has attack dogs and secret service with machine guns in the grounds around the White House. So, uh, again, if fences don't work, then why does the White House have a fence? Why does the Vatican have a fence? No, fences work. Yeah, uh, and I, I, yeah. yeah Jess, I have my own theory on, on why they doubled up the fences, because they know they can only push so hard, and, and the American people are going to rise up. And so they're <laughs> running scared. That's my... That's hey, up, I'm, ne <laughs> up next, right. we're going to listen to a video on marriage, why marriage rates are plumbing, and then I'll have a discussion with Paul. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. The Terry and Jesse Show. Marriage rates are plummeting. I want you to listen to this video. It's put out by Edify, which is a good, good Catholic apostolate. And they're going to show... Uh, why marriage rates are plummeting, and then we could have a thoughtful discussion between Paul and myself. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? Would you believe me if I told you that the large decrease in faith and church attendance is driven by the decline of marriage? That the plummeting number of people in the pews and decline of faith in Jesus is because too many young people grow up without married parents? Let me prove it to you. Some background. For the first time in the Gallup Poll's 87-year history, a majority of Americans say they do not belong to any house of worship, most of whom have no religion at all. That is a 23-point drop since the year 2000. That's huge. Nothing short of a cultural revolution. Today, Catholic and other Christian leaders try to fight this revolution by spending somewhere between four and six billion dollars annually on youth ministry to stop youth from falling away. Yet, Many young people are leaving Christianity behind earlier and earlier. A study of former Catholics found that 74% left the faith between the ages of 10 and 20, with age 13 being the median age when kids leave. So at a time when the church has never spent more on evangelizing youth, we've never been less effective at passing on the faith. Why is that? Comenio commissioned an academic study that found that if a millennial grew up in a continuously married home and a baby boomer grew up in a continuously married home, the two attend church every single week at nearly the same exact rate. Our analysis of Pew Research data shows that changes in family structure began with the sexual revolution in the 1960s, and the collapse of faith grew as the children of this revolution did. So the collapse of faith is an effect of the collapse of marriage. To put it another way, our churches would largely be full today if Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z enjoyed the same family structure as baby boomers. Mm. So the health of a person's faith is directly connected to the health of that person's family. 
when there are fewer lasting marriages, there are fewer children with married parents, and a decline in faith always follows. The new evangelization called for by Pope St. John Paul II must therefore be a nuptial movement. None of this should surprise us. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding. Mm. God's story of salvation is told as a spousal love story. This is why the enemy has sought to destroy the marital embrace. From 1970 to today, there's been a 61% drop in the number of people getting married. Catholic weddings are down 75% going back to 1970. And churches are not yet engaged in the fight to save the family. While billions are spent on youth each and every year, 85% of all churches and 82% of Catholic parishes spend zero dollars on marriage and relationship ministry. Mm. But here's some good news. In Jacksonville, Florida, my organization coordinated an ecumenical project to strengthen marriages. Christians moved nearly 60,000 people through relationship skills education over three years, and the divorce rate plunged 24%. We found that when churches do get involved in this fight, the church can win. So here's what needs to happen. Catholic parishes should evangelize by becoming hubs for healthy relationships, both for single and married people. We can only grow as disciples through living out our vocation. This means marriage ministry must become an essential and standard part of parish life. The culture has broken the very idea and cadence of healthy dating, so much so that few get married. So parish life must build community for the unmarried and leverage existing skills and resources to help form and discern relationships. All Catholics can offer to help their pastor make this a reality. Sister Lucia, one of the children who received the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima, predicted that the final battle between the kingdom of the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Mm. I think that battle has commenced. Will we, as faithful Catholics, answer the call to fight for marriage? I'm J.P. DeGantz of Camino for Edify. I think he did a pretty good overview, but there's, I think there's one area that he did miss, Paul. Okay, and Jess. I, I think he missed the area of the poor example we've had from our Catholic bishops and many priests <laughs> in the last couple of decades, starting with the 2002, uh, you know, uh, Boston sexual scandal that erupted around the country with Theodore McCarrick, who's been now defrocked. I think that had a huge impact on the faith of many Catholics. Many Catholics just saw, uh, just started distrusting many bishops and priests. Scandalized. Yeah, they were so scandalized. They, they scandalized right, right out of the church. And now their kids think, mm -hmm. well, mom and dad don't go to church, don't go to mass. I guess that's not important. And they didn't continue going to mass either. I think, again, I don't think, and this guy did minimize it. I mean, I think he did a pretty good job, but I think he completely ignored the 2002 yeah. Boston Archdiocese sexual scandal and that basically erupted like a boil around the country. And I think that's one of the main reasons. The sexual scandals and the bad example from prelates, what this has done for the average lay Catholic, I, yes. think, this guy, I think the guy missed it by a country mile. Yeah, Jess, as you know, all fatherhood is derived from the fatherhood of God. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at our prelates and we understand that this is how their fatherhood is derived, when we can see uh, fatherhood being 
eviscerated amongst the clergy uh, when we can see, uh, like you said, the scandal and everything that has just been brought upon the church, uh, that carries over into fatherhood uh, for the lay as they become fathers and mothers in in, in, in holy matrimony. Uh, it, you know, it, it's like if you have uh, our spiritual fatherhood basically in disarray, then it stands to follow that the family will be in disarray. And there's a couple other points that I would like to make, Jess. Yeah. One is that uh, 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 St. Pope John Paul II, he said, uh, number one, uh, that um, God in his deepest mystery is a family, right? Uh, he has fatherhood, he has sonship, and he has the essence of family, which is love. Uh, we also know that the family is the domestic church. And so these things, you know, it's just not a matter of marriages failing. The father of a family is to be the spiritual head of the family. You see, and when order is in place, when the proper order is in place, then society follows that order. And when that order is broken and disrupted, the, well, we get chaos. What say you, Jess? Yeah, let me give people two two pieces of information that will be very helpful for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it'll 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 lift you up if you're Catholic. Number one, there's one study that was done by Doctor Stoop. In fact, you can type in Doctor Stoop couples that pray together. So Doctor Stoop did a study, and he and he demonstrates that. Couples that pray together at least once a day, I'm not saying you pray together all the time, you know, three times. If you find one time, either morning or evening, find one time a day to pray with your spouse. Dr. Stoop says that couples that pray together have about a 1% divorce rate. Mm. That's good news. I'll tell you why, why, why that is. It's because in Catholicism, we call that you build spiritual intimacy. What keeps a marriage together? Two types of intimacies. Physical intimacy bonds you to your spouse. It's, it's, it's part of marriage. The two become one. The one flesh union. And so physical intimacy bonds you to your spouse. But there's also something deeper than physical intimacy, which is called spiritual intimacy, which mm. means praying with your spouse. Yes. Receiving the Eucharist alongside your spouse. Yes. Going to Holy Mass alongside your spouse. There's a depth there that, that, that cannot be reached if all you ever focuses on is the physical intimacy. Yes. Here's another bit, bit of information that will be helpful as well. Another study was done by Dr. Janet Smith, I think about back in 1996 at Dallas University. She wrote a book on this. Uh, she, uh, and, and in this book... She shows that Catholics that follow the teachings of the church have a less than 4.5% divorce rate. So I'm going I'm to repeat that again. So Dr. Janet Smith did a study of all religions in the U.S., Protestants, Buddhists, Jews, everybody, Muslims, and showed the divorce rates amongst all the religions across the country. By far, notice, now here's the adjective I'm going to add because this is important. Dr. Janice Smith says, practicing Catholics, notice I said practicing. I didn't say apostate Catholics 
or lukewarm. Practically, mm-hmm. Catholics have the lowest divorce rate in the United States of America. They have a less than 4.5% divorce rate. And when was that study, Jess? 1996. I'll send you the data, Dr. G. Yeah. Smith. I have, yeah, I have. And so, again, uh, it, it goes to show you that when you do it God's way, God gives you the ability to, to work through the issues of life and to stay together until death do us yeah. part. Yeah, no surprise there, Jess. We know that God gives us grace through the sacraments. And we know that, you know, uh, the whole idea of marriage, you know, is was instituted by God all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So he gives us what we need. When we pray the Our Father, we understand and we're asking him to give us this day our daily bread. Give us uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, let us be empowered. Let us receive his grace into our lives in order to uh, obey the will of God. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And uh, and remember, I think another thing, Paul, is uh, the reason marriage has taken a beat down. I think obviously we, uh, I don't want to give the credit too much, the devil too much credit, but the devil's been at work uh, at least since, I mean, we could say, we're, we as Americans, we're like a frog boiling in, in, in a pot of water. And uh, they've been cooking us little by little. It started back in the 60s with the sexual revolution, uh, with the legalization of, of pornography, uh, banning prayer in public schools, banning Bible teachings, etc., etc. They've been chipping away at our faith, and here we are right yeah. now. Hey, up next, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how to die a good death. It's the most important way how to die a good death. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. When facing death, hope is the key for Christians. Amen. By long tradition, what we call the last things is a collective name given to death, judgment, the resurrection of the body, heaven, hell, and purgatory. The systematic study of such matters, we call this eschatology and theology, probably through a, uh, through a true life story, is a better introduction to these profound realities than a theological discourse would be. So here's a real story. In the middle years of the last century, A.J. Ayer was one of the biggest names in British philosophy. In 1936, at the age of 26, Ayer, his first name was Alfred, but everyone called him Freddie, published Language, Truth, and Logic, a book that made him famous. He taught at Oxford as a professor of logic until his death in 1989. Ayer's book introduced a philosophical system called logical positivism into British philosophical circles. Central to it is what is called the verifiability, verifi- verifiability criterion, according to which all statements, except those of mathematics and logic, are in effect meaningless nonsense. Mm-hmm. So notice though he was, he, he, this is a, a straight attack on religion and faith. Mm-hmm. He's saying only math and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, he says basically only math uh, is the only thing that uh, is verifiable. So Ayer denied being an atheist or even an agnostic, but it was hard to tell the difference. In a chapter of Language, Truth, and Logic, titled A Critique of Ethics and Theology, Ayer, the author, argued that it was meaningless to say that God either did or didn't exist. 
On June 6, 1988, Ayer choked on a piece of salmon. He lost consciousness and was declared to be clinically dead for four minutes. After he was revived, the doctor asked him what his near-death experience was like. He said, I saw a divine being. The doctor reported Ayer as saying, then after a pause, he said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to revise my work. Close. <laughs> <laughs> but what's sad to say is that A.J. Ayer didn't. Again, later he published an article acknowledging he'd had a near-death experience, but saying only that it made him a little, a little less certain that there's no afterlife. In other words, so what do we got going here, Paul? God gave this atheist agnostic, he gave him an opportunity to come to faith. Yes. He had a near-death experience, but what did he do? He hardened his heart. Or yes. as our Lord says in the Gospels, the seed of the word fell on rocky soil. Mm. It, it, did, it, just, just, it did not grow. Yeah. yeah there's just, a lot of people I, like that, Paul. A lot of people like that. Oh, yeah. And, and here again, you see the grace of God. God, you know, uh, here's a guy who's made himself an enemy, and yet God, you know, uh, uh, brings him to the brink without taking him. And for a second, he, he you know, he has a, a, just a, a, a reckoning of, wow, uh, I've been wrong. But as soon as and it's typical and as soon as uh, life begins to, you know, get back to normal, you know, we tend to just gravitate back to our old ways. And, you know, and instead of understanding that, hey, the experience that he had was nothing short of a miracle. It was the grace of God basically saying, listen, uh, you're in mortal danger. Your, your soul is in, more, it is in mortal peril. And yet, like you said, like the Pharaoh, he hardened his own heart. Um, yeah, what a sad, what a sad story. You know, Paul, in the secular world, there's actually an institute that they uh, they examine or they study near-death experiences, and uh, it's it's run by Dr. Kubler Ross. It's been a long, it's been a while since I've read anything from her, mm -hmm. but uh, they've they've interviewed tens of thousands of people. Some people of you know different religions, no faith, agnostics. All of them say the same thing this, in this big research foundation of, of you know tens of thousands of stories in over 23 languages that people, when they die, they all say the same. And they're not talking to each other. So this is these are spontaneous statements made to a psychologist, psychiatrist right after or a family member. They say that when they when they die, they're in the presence of this incredible light, this, in, this presence that's just so ominous, so loving mm -hmm. light. And they see a, a tunnel. They see themselves going through this tunnel. And they'll sometimes hear the voice telling them, you're not ready yet. Uh, you, you've got to go back. And so, again, even these secular studies that you could see in psychology today, they report about the fact that there's a soul that leaves the body upon death. And again, these are secular psychologists and psychiatrists yeah. that, 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 that'll, that'll say exactly what we as Christians have taught for thousands of years that our soul will live forever our soul animates our body our soul will leave our body stand before the judgment seat of christ and it will be judged and again um you know whatever you think about these near-death experiences i think for some people i think god is giving some people a second chance but again some people through uh through their own through their own deliberate will and act 
they just harden their heart and they continue on a life of uh, of faithlessness. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're unique, Jess, in the sense that we are, uh, uh, you know, that the, the, uh, the spiritual or the uh, immaterial is linked together with the material to form a human being, you know. Uh, and, you know, Jess, the church teaches that man by nature and vocation is a religious being and uh, coming from God, going toward God, man lives a fully human life. And only if he freely lives by his bond with God. And you see, this is, you know, uh, the part that's missing and lacking. It's, it, you know, we were created for God. I mean, by God, for God. And, you know, uh, we don't, we're not fully human. We don't fully, bec- you know, become alive, you know, and, and fulfill our, our destiny until we're in that correct relationship with God. And uh, so, again, uh, this this atheist, we, we look back at his story, uh, the natural man, and that's what he was his whole life, uh, does not receive the things of God, nor can he. He doesn't have the ability to. And this is why it is so important for uh, every member of the Catholic Church who is a become a partaker of the divine nature to understand his role, uh, you know, in, 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 in basically according to Colossians to make up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ and to go out there and to give our lives uh, for this world. Uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's the way to understand when you put your faith, trust, hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, there really is nothing to fear. Amen. There is, there is absolutely nothing to fear. Here's, here's, here's the way I would explain it, okay? Here's kind of a, an easy way to explain, a blue-collar way to explain. Life after death, if you have Jesus and you're in a state of sanctifying grace. Mm. So there was a sick man. He came to a doctor. And as the sick man was preparing to leave the, the examination room, he knew the doctor was Catholic, and he knew that he was a practicing Catholic. So he said, Doctor, I'm afraid to die. Tell me what lies on the other side. Well, the Catholic doctor, very quietly, he said, I don't know. Then the patient said, Doctor, you don't know. You're a Catholic Christian man. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know what's on the other side? Then the Catholic doctor, he was holding the handle of the door. He says, hmm, on the other side came a sound of scratching and whining. And as, he, and as, the, as the doctor opened the door, a, a dog sprang into the doctor's arms, leaped into him, and it was his dog. His wife had come, brought the dog to visit the doctor. And the dog jumped into his arms in, in eager gladness as soon as the doctor opened the door. So the Catholic doctor, he turned to the patient and he said this, did you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. It's the first time my wife ever brings him here. He didn't know what was inside this room. He knew nothing except that his master was here. Why? Because he heard my voice. Mm. And so when the door opened, my dog sprang into this room without fear. In the same way, I know little of what's on the other side of death as, as a medical doctor, but I do know one thing. I know my master's there. Amen. And I hear, and I hear his voice. 
and that's enough for me. And so Amen. I'm afraid. Amen. Yeah. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. <laughs> you know, Jess, I, I love this. And what a great story. What a great story uh, just to, you know, to show that, you know, uh, uh, something like as uh, an animal acting on instinct, he, yes. he, he, he knows the voice of his master. And really, that's all he cares about. Uh, you know, a dog doesn't care about anything other than I'm with the one who cares for me, who loves me, who takes care of me. And that's all I need to know. That's right. And Paul, you know, Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And a lot of people, Paul, they don't want to examine. Uh, they don't want to examine their life and they really don't want to deal with what happens after death. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? Every one of us has an exit interview. We're going to stand before the Lord right. Jesus Christ one day. That's right. And, uh, and and at the end, guess what? There's only winners and losers. Yes. Period. There's you know, no you know, just... team. There's no third team. Yeah. Listen, there's, you know, uh, we live in a real world and people have real fears. And yes, uh, as you know, uh, we have been uh, so denied uh, uh, so much, so many graces that, you know, that we, that we should have, you know, had access to because of so many things going on. Uh, people truly do fear death. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen people that I love. I've seen people that I don't know, and they all have this fear about death. And so the, the, one of the most amazing things about being Catholic is, is that we understand, and sometimes out of your love for an individual, out of your efforts, you can be the one to stand in the gap. You could be the one to bring them a priest so that they can receive that absolution that they need. And you can be the one who can pray for them and assure them at, the, at their time of need. Yeah, you're right, Paul. That's why... St. Jude, uh, in the book of Jude, there, there's, in his letter, he said that we, we, we help people and snatch them out from the fire. Yes, amen. We snatch people out from the fire. Guess what? If you're in the presence of somebody who's dying and nobody's around, mom, dad, no priest, lead them in prayer. Lead them to a prayer of repentance. Yes. Lead them to a prayer to call upon the name of Jesus and to accept them. Yes. That's what you do as a Catholic. Amen. Lead them in prayer. Hey, that's a wrap, Paul. That's the end of the week. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Thanks a oh, lot. Yeah. And uh, up next, by, by the way, uh, you're going to hear Terry Barber's going to be on uh, Newsmax later on today. As for the rest of you family, thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Keep the faith. Have a blessed weekend.